morning. You all right? Good. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just about recovered from being 10 days looking after three small children and two bigger children uh, in Manchester, but they're, they're all great. Uh, the good news is they'll be coming down uh, around about the 30th of December, staying for a week, and I'm trying to persuade Andrew to speak on uh, the 6th, I think it's the 6th of January is a Sunday, so... So I think they'll be at church that day, so book that in your diaries. So, yeah, they're all uh, they're all active up there, definitely. That's what I would say. Yeah, it's been an awesome, awesome time with the family, so that's good. But now, back with this family, which is also very good. Um, I'm going to speak this morning from a couple of verses in uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, but I'm going to read it from um, a passion uh, version. Now, let me just explain for people, but you, you might, there's the Bible, right? And then you, I'm going to quote from three or four different versions today, and you're like, well, hang on a minute, if there's a Bible, why, why are these things different? Well, because the Bible was written in uh, two foreign languages to us, and, uh, and people over time have tried to translate those and interpret them, those scriptures, so that we can understand them. And uh, they translate them into English. But have you noticed that English changes? Right? So the King James Version had all these these, thou's, hasts, and hast nots. Well, who speaks like that anymore? So they translated that into a bit more modern English. And certain people have it on them to kind of to get hold of that scripture, look at the root meanings, and try and translate it so that it gives us, in our context, in our time, a greater understanding of what God originally intended. So you've got lots of versions. And, and I, I suggest that if, you, if you've been reading the Bible for ages and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I, know, I know this, yeah, 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 change a version, right? I could suggest some to you. And when you read it, wow, it's put in a different way. It just kind of hits you. It makes more sense. It joins things up. And it stops you guessing what comes next because, you know, you, if you've read the Bible as often as I have, you kind of can you do it in autopilot because you know what's coming next. So I'm going to read from um, the Passion Version, which uh, two of my friends kindly bought me for my birthday. Um, and they've only got it in the New Testament Psalms and a couple of other Old Testament ones at the moment. So when I come to church, I have to bring two Bibles because they've only got half in this one because uh, they haven't translated it all yet. So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1. Oh, we've got it up there. That's great. Um, and verse 16. It says, I refuse to be ashamed. This is Paul speaking. I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Jesus Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved, the Jew first and then people everywhere. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is what the scripture means when, it's, when it says we are right with God through life-giving faith. And it, the, the verse 17, um, if we could just have that one up on its own, I think that's the one. That's the one we're going to look at today. Um, the gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. 
Now, first off, it says the gospel. Now, let me just say what the gospel is. You might understand what the gospel is. Let me just make sure. The gospel it's talking about there is the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth. He is God. He came to earth and lived on earth and died in our place to pay the price for our sin, which separated us from his heavenly Father and him, to make a way back that we could have a relationship with God fully restored. That's what the gospel is. And the gospel is then also that we continue to have a relationship with God. That is the gospel. And that's why gospel actually means good news. Because there's nothing bad news about having a relationship with God. Because having a relationship with God, you don't have to be fearful of him that he's going to zap you, he's going to squash you, he's going to flatten you, he's going to oppose you. The fact is he loved us so much he sent his son to make a way that we can have a relationship with him and he wants things for our good. And when we receive the good news, this gospel, and we accept the exchange of our sin uh, for God's forgiveness, but there's that exchange that happens, that's the good news. Say, Jesus, you paid for my sin. I, I, I see that that's a sacrifice. I'm giving you my sin. I'm accepting your forgiveness there's something else happens at that moment. We then receive the righteousness of God. All of the stuff that we've done wrong, that separated us from God, that God doesn't like, has gone. It's been dealt with, and we receive the righteousness of God. And there's another Bible word. We are justified, right? And you can, it's very easy to remember that word, just as if I'd never sinned. And that moment where we accept the gospel, we say, yeah, Jesus, I see it now. You died for my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm accepting your forgiveness. That moment, the Bible tells us that we are forgiven, our sins are dealt with, and we're actually made righteous. Isn't that awesome? That is such good news. Just as if you had never sinned. That is amazing. Uh, a good news translation puts it this way. For the gospel reveals how God puts people right with himself. So we are made right with God. We're made righteous. <clears throat> and as I said, we receive this the moment we believe and accept Jesus as our saviour. This is called saving faith. Saving faith. Because it saves you. It saves you from your sin. It saves you from a life without God. It saves you from an eternity without God. It's pretty good at saving, right? The gospel is pretty good at saving. This is called saving faith. And saving faith is utterly outstanding because at the moment you employ that saving faith, you say to God, yes, I believe that you died for my sins. Please forgive me my sins. I want a relationship with you. This is just a list of some of the things that happen. Your sins are forgiven. You're made righteous with God. God looks at you and sees zilcho sin at that moment. Now, for some people, they don't actually get that because they go around the rest of their lives, even as Christians, feeling guilty about what they used to do before. And God's like, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that because I've chosen to put it to the cross and I've chosen to forget it. When you have that saving faith, you are made righteous with me. I do not see your sin anymore. 
Also at that time, the Holy Spirit makes your spirit come alive to God. So you can see, hear, feel, talk and know God. You have that ability, becomes alive in you, to have that spirit consciousness that you can relate to God. And if that's not enough, you become a child of God and an heir to inherit all he is and he has. And if that's not enough, you also, because you're in his family, you're now his child, come under his protection. I mean, don't mess with me, because God is protecting me, you know. Don't pick on me, look at the person behind me. He's protecting me, you come under his protection. You're born into the family of God, look around you, you've got some brothers and sisters, some of which you kind of probably might be glad about, others which of you might be like, all right, okay. But we've got, we're born into a family of God, we've got loads of family, brothers and sisters. Your past is wiped clean, you have a hope for the future, and you move from death to life and darkness to light. Wow. Never ever underestimate the value of the saving power of the gospel. And for those of us who have been saved for donkey's years, more than we'd like to admit to, sometimes we forget the amazing thing that happened the moment we accepted Christ as our saviour. All of those things happen. It's phenomenal. It's life-changing. But do you know that verse behind me? There's another type of faith mentioned in this verse. Not just saving faith. Can you spot it? I'm going to read it again. Can you spot it? This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness. A perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. As a living faith. Got it. There are two categories of faith in this verse. There is the saving faith and there is the living faith. And the clue is really, this gospel, it says, unveils or reveals a continual Revelation. Well, continual means that it just doesn't stop there and then. It's progressive. It's moving forward. It keeps on going. It's active. It's alive. The continual revelation of God's righteousness, it, the gospel, moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. Now, the New International Version, which is another good version, says from faith to faith. So from moving from saving faith, progressing and moving into living faith. And the Amplified Bible, which is for loudspeakers, that's the always joke you use, um, that always gives you lots of meanings in brackets. But this, it says springing from faith and leading to faith. So you have the saving faith and out of that springs living faith. It's faith but it's faith in two distinct types. So let's just look at saving faith for the moment. If you only have saving faith, then let's, let's be truthful, you're saved. Right? No doubt about it, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven, all those things that I've just said happened to you, that's great. But you know, if you only have saving faith, you will need to be kept being saved over and over again. Let me try and put this in a 
And this is, I've written this down before, anything about your car, okay? Right? Let's just try and put it in context that you can understand. Um, are we in the RAC or the AA? Oh, RAC, right, okay. I'll tell you how many times I use them. Um, we're in the RAC, I've got an RAC cover for my car, okay? And if I'm driving around in my car and then it suddenly stops um, and then I call the RAC out and then they come and they look under the bonnet and say, oh, okay, madam, you've run out of oil. You've got a slight oil leak here, you've run out of oil. And uh, I just happen to have some, that's great, whatever. And he fixes it all and sends me on, he or she fixes it all and sends me on my way. That's fantastic. I have been saved by the RAC from a vehicle disaster, a mechanical failure, right? But his parting words might be to me, might be like, uh, there is a slight leak there, you need to watch out on that and you need to keep an eye, an eye on the levels of oil in your car. Yeah, great, thank you very much, and I can get off to my meeting, off I go, you know. Now, if I continue my life just using my car and never checking the oil levels, what's going to happen? My car is going to run out of oil again. It's going to grind to a halt. I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to call the RAC out who will come out and will diagnose the same problem, will fill it up with oil, will tell me the same thing, and off I go again to get to my meetings or to Sainsbury's or wherever I was going. And if I don't change something, then I'm going to require the saving power of the RAC continually until that car drops to pieces. And if I continue to do that, there are consequences. There are consequences to my car because it's not very good for an engine to run out of oil. And there might be long-term consequences, damage to it. The time I will be wasting, waiting for the RAC, that's a consequence. The appointments I will be late for or I will miss or I can't fit into stuff I can't fit into my day because my car has broken down. That's saving faith from the RAC, but it's not living faith because I've done nothing about it. All I'm relying is the RAC to get my car back on the road each time it breaks down. So if having received saving faith, we carry on living the way we were before we were saved, before we received God's forgiveness, before we entered into a relationship with him, then it won't be long before you need saving faith again. Who would admit to being there? The rest of you are lying. The rest of you have got become a, become a Christian and you've never goofed up. You've never kind of messed up so badly that you have to come back and say, oh, Lord, no, I need your forgiveness again. I need a new relationship with you again. It's just me and those four other people. You lying lot. You just now need saving faith right now because you just lied, right? <laughs> right? So you better get it quick. <laughs> but, you know... When we do need saving faith again, God is so gracious and patient and kind, he will save us again. And he'll keep on doing it. In my life, he's had to do it so many times. I had to keep coming back to him and say, oh, messed up again. 
And he's saying, that's okay, Jesus Christ died for your sins when you first knew me. And he's died for your sins every time you goof up after that. It's okay, it's all covered in the cross, okay? You, all you have to do is you have to come back to me, recognize that you've, we've parted company, or recognize that you're being disobedient, or recognize you've made a stupid mistake, and ask me to forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you. You're the saving faith will come back into operation. I will be restored back to God in relationship, justified. And when he looks at me, it's as just as if I'd never sinned again. Right? And some of you need to know that. You need to know that that's how God sees you, just as if I'd never sinned. And you can keep coming back to God every time you goof up. But this is not the full gospel deal that God intended us to have and designed us to have. He made a way for us to have the second type of faith that you quite rightly have, have checked out and, and noted in this, in this verse. And that second type of faith is living faith. Now, a good description of this living faith is found in John 10, verse 10, which I'm going to read from the Passion Version. Jesus said this, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I, Jesus said, have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in all its fullness, until you overflow. If you want to know what living faith is and what life that Jesus intended is, it's in that verse. To give you everything in abundance, more than you can expect, Life in all its fullness until you overflow. This says the gospel moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. Saving faith is a means of receiving the life of God, which if you walk in, will give you the power to live as God intended if you continue to walk in it. Put it another way. From your position that you're given, uh, saving faith, puts you in a position of being in relationship with God and your sins are forgiven. If you ask God how you should live, if you ask him about things you should be thinking about or not thinking about, what you should do, how you should speak and how be, you behave, then you will start to progress from saving faith into living faith because you are putting the saving position that you've been given into operation to walk with God. And as I said, we do mess up, but that's okay because God knows that that's going to be how we're going to be. But he would, we want you to keep walking in, in the saving faith each day so it becomes a living faith. Living faith is the only life God intends for us, is the only life. He doesn't want you to kind of have the saving faith, go off, do your own thing, get in a mess, realize you're in a mess, come back to him, get saving faith to sort you out and go back again to live in your life as you want to and come back again. It, 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 he doesn't want that for you. He wants you to have living faith. Jesus didn't just come to save you from your sins so you can have eternity with him in heaven. He wants you to have maximum full life now. And that's what he wants. That's what we're designed to have. And that's what we really ought to be pursuing. So you might say, okay, 
I get it. I see there's saving faith and I see there's living faith. But how do I move from saving faith to living faith? I hope that's what you're asking in your head. All right, okay. I've got three things. There may be more, but I've got three. One, embrace the new you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 in the New Living Translation, which is an excellent translation, says this. Those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone and a new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. Having the new life in you through saving faith means that we should change the way we live from then on. Right? You are made a new person. So the old stuff, and you might say, well, I've got a history of of setbacks and and the situation, the circumstance I've been born into, that gives me an unfair disadvantage. Well, according to my Bible, that might give you some challenges, but according to my Bible, you are a new person, just like anyone who's been brought up ideally in all the ideal circumstances. You are still made a new person. And I think sometimes we need to embrace that new person. We need to be getting out of our heads the the old us that was and embrace the new that God sees in us that has made it possible for us. And then there's another one in Titus 3 verse 1 to 8 and I'm going to read this in the Passion Version. Get a load of this scripture. This blows me away. Um, Titus 3 verse 3. For it wasn't that long ago that we behaved foolishly in our stubborn disobedience. We were easily led astray as slaves to worldly passions and pleasures. We wasted our lives in doing evil. With hateful jealousy, we hated others. When the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person as the brightness of a dawning day, he came to save us, not because of any virtuous deeds that we have done, but only because of his extravagant mercy. He saved us, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed over us richly by Jesus the Messiah, our life giver. So as a gift of his love, and since we are faultless, innocent before his face, we can now become heirs of all things, all because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. How true and faithful is this message. God sets us up with saving faith and says you are a new creation. I've done all this for you. I've made it possible for you now to walk with me. Let's walk together. And he will not walk in the direction that you've just left. He will walk you in a new direction that leads to life. Living faith, that's what he's designed us for. If you think when you have appropriated saving faith, you might think, oh, good, now I'm going to heaven. If you think that you can then go back to living the way and thinking the way that you used to, then that's not God's way. He wants you to have a new walk, 
a, and the Bible talks about a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things, a new priority, because we have a new faith in a God that if we walk according to what he says, he's going to provide for us, he's going to protect us, he's going to watch out for us, he's going to support us, he's going to encourage us, he's going to teach us. He is amazing in his support in our new life. So how do I move from saving to living faith? First thing. Embrace the new you. God has made you completely new with the saving faith. We have to embrace that and take that person forward. Secondly, relate to your heavenly father. Talk to him. Read about him. Talk about him. Put him first. Put him central. Make him the most important person in your life. Live life as he tells you to do. Ask his advice and direction. I am surprised at how many Christians just decide that they're going to do this or that or the other. Oh, that, that seems a good idea. I mean, massive life-changing things like moving a house or changing a job or changing a church or all sorts of massive things in their life. And I say to them, well, what did God say? Oh, well, they didn't ask him. I'm like, excuse me. If you want God's protection, you want God's best, and you're going to walk with him, and God has a plan for your future, don't you think you ought to be speaking to him and asking him about these details of your life? Because if he's going to walk you into your best future, you need to be walking in the direction that he knows is the best for you. Now, I know we all think we're dead clever, but we're not cleverer than God, right? We can see in front of our nose, but God sees the whole lot. He sees eternity from beginning to end, so he knows whether that thing is good for you or not. It might seem absolutely brilliant to do like that. I told you before in church, the job I really wanted as a PE teacher over in uh, Croydon High School for Girls. And then God gave me Cheam High School. It's a great school now, but it wasn't then, right? And I'm like, God, you, what? That one was better for me. And God says, nope, this one's better for you. And then I circumstances unfolded in my life when I met the person that got the job I wanted and she was completely wrecked because they overworked her and I was going to be in ministry as well as teaching so I had to say God you definitely knew best didn't you you definitely could see the future so ask his advice listen to and obey his voice if you're tempted to revert back to what you used to do like well I'm short on money, so I'll just nick this from a shop. Talk to him, right? Don't go back to the old behavior. Talk to God and say, God, I have no money. I have no food to put on my table. And God will say, oh, well, I go to church, there's fair share. You can at least have tea. But God will provide in all sorts of ways. I've known people who have had envelopes through their door, Crates of food arrive on their front doorstep. You name it, God's provided it, he'll do it. Go to God first, get his advice. Get, um, uh, uh, tell him your difficulties. Don't try and sort it out by being tempted to revert back to your old ways. Build and develop a relationship with him and he will give and develop in you more, f- more faith, living faith. And the third thing that you can do to move from saving faith to living faith is learn to live life to the full. Don't wimp out on taking risks when God says, do that. When he challenges you to go beyond 
what you feel comfortable at doing, comfortable at doing, and you know God's telling you, just do it. It's an adrenaline rush for a start, but you know what? Once you've done it, and you're going like, yes, yes, it worked. That that builds up more living faith in you, more confidence. Grow your living faith by putting obedience into practice. Don't, some Christians are so lazy. They're gonna, they say, well, I'm just going to live like this. And if it's wrong, the Holy Spirit's job is to tell me it's wrong. So the Holy Spirit spent half his time convincing people and nudging Christians that actually you shouldn't be doing that. When they've read their Bible and they know they shouldn't be doing it in the first place. So let's give the Holy Spirit a bit of a day off occasionally. And let's kind of look at the principles that he's asked us to, to walk in in our new living faith. Put them into practice. Be obedient and not have to get him to kind of keep nudging and say, no, 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 actually you shouldn't be doing that or saying that or thinking that. And also, we can learn about the principles for living God's way and start doing them. You know, learn about how to forgive people all the time. Well, that's a big one. Generosity. Learn how to be generous. How to be kind. Serving him. Is there a way that you could serve him more? These are all principles of living God's way that's going to bring you living faith. In your worship, in your giving, in your tithes and your offerings... The more you live God's way, the more life you will experience. So, save in faith. Live in faith. There is a big difference and we do need to move from saving faith to living faith. So, as I draw to a close, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to apply this to maybe three categories of people that are here today. And I want you to kind of work out which one, which one you're in. Firstly, you may be sitting here today and you thought, do you know what? I've never encountered the saving faith of God ever. I've, I've heard about it and I've seen it in other people, but I've never actually said, God, I need saving. I recognize that my relationship with you is non-existent or is not as close as it should be because of what I've done in my past and what I'm doing now stops me from my relationship with you. I need your saving faith. I need to say, God, please forgive me of my sins. Accept me as your child. Let's do life together. And you've never done that before. Today, right now in a minute, you can do that. Secondly, there's a group of people here that if you are a Christian and your life is a series of God getting you out of trouble, out of tight spots and difficulties and failures, then you need to check out whether you are living in saving faith and you're stuck in saving faith or you're moving on to living in living faith God is not just a first aid kit he is the way to experience life to the fullest he isn't the all-powerful RAC to keep putting your life back on track he is the way and the truth to live life to the full and perhaps some of people in this room have gone like, I do seem to be limping from crisis to crisis. And then I come back to God and he sorts me out and it's great. And then I, and, and I get into another crisis. Well, maybe you need to be saying to God, okay, I want you to walk me in living faith. I want to know how I should be thinking about this situation. What do I need to change in my life to avoid and having that same crisis again. 
And then thirdly, there are people here that, who definitely know that you've moved into living faith and you are attempting to walk the way God uh, intends you to do. But I'd just like to remind us that it's not a destination. Living faith is not a destination. It's a journey. So living faith is required every minute of every hour of every day, of every month, of every year of your life going forwards. It's an ever-deepening relationship, not just a relationship, an ever-deepening and developing relationship with God. And maybe God is talking to you about stepping up into an area to enjoy more of the living faith. If you don't keep moving into living faith, you will need saving faith from becoming comfortable faith. And it's very easy for us Christians to kind of say, yeah, well, we know how to live. We've got that principle sorted out, whatever. Good, I'm, 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 living, I'm in living faith. But unless we really pay attention to God, who is always wanting to stretch us and challenge us and develop us and use us, then we can be comfortable in our living faith. And comfortable living faith is not living faith. Because if it's comfortable to us, that means we've settled. And God always wants us to experience more of his life, more of his fullness, more of his righteousness, more of his power, more of being fulfilled in the person that he's made us. Comfortable faith means you have stopped living in living faith. We're going to pray. So if I can just ask you to... Close your eyes for a moment. Then maybe you've worked out which of those three categories you're in. Well, this is a time for you now just to kind of respond to that and talk to God about it. I don't know everyone in this room, so I don't know whether people have all experienced saving faith. But while our heads are bowed, if you've never experienced the saving faith of God... For the first time, say, God, I give you my life. I want you to forgive me my sin. I want a relationship with you. And you want to experience that saving faith this morning. I just want you to do a very simple thing. I want you to raise your hand, look up at me so I can make sure I've seen you. And then we'll pray with you afterwards and introduce you to the best person ever that's going to change your life for good. So anyone that wants to make that uh, decision this morning. Just raise your hand and look at me, and then I can see. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, the second bunch of people that you realize that you're living just in saving faith, and you need to be into living faith. And God's challenging you to change the way that you think to stop running your life the same way as you used to before you encountered that saving faith. I just want you to just, just to pray in your own mind right now and say to God, that's what I want, God. I want you to move me from saving faith. I, I'm going to find out how to live to avoid these car wrecks that I keep getting into. And the third group of people, how many of us are willing to say, God, I'm living in living faith, but I want more exciting living faith. Father, you've know our hearts you know our thoughts and the response in our hearts and our minds right now and I pray for every person in this room and how they're responding to you I pray Holy Spirit you will hear all of that you will see all of that you'll clock it all 
And I pray that you'll engage with them at that level and that we pray not only for us individually, but as a church, we will be continue to moving into living faith because we want to impact our area. We want to impact other people's lives. We want to bring change. We want to bring hope. We want to bring that forgiveness. We want to bring the gospel, the good news to as many people as possible. So take our response this morning, Father, and I pray that everyone that wants to move from saving faith to living faith, God, that you would help us to know how to do that, who to talk to, which bit of the scripture to read, what, what it is that you need us to change. In Jesus' name, amen. And some of you-